Hey Sam, nice to see you. Thanks for thanks for coming out this afternoon to to chat about your perspective, culture. Uh, there's some amazing topics that we we prepped for this, and then I'm sure there's going to be things that come up that we just want to uh, roll with and talk about. So welcome, I want to welcome you and, and thank you again for for coming on and sharing your perspective here today. My pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having yeah. me on. I'm really looking forward to this. All right. All right. Well, you know, you have an interesting background. Um, you know, you've been in, you know, corporate for, for many years. You, you have a background, you know, managing a, a highly, you know, competitive athletic team. You've been in different places in your, in your corporate background, but you're, you're a dad. You know, I know you have two, two children. Um, right. You live in New York. I think you, you have a lot of different perspectives, especially with um, as of late, you know, and, probably able to share a unique look during the, the COVID times, periods of crisis, periods even way back during the financial crisis. I know you're in, right, you're in right. the financial business, um, but love to, you know, kind of, you know, start off just about you, Sam, like, you know, why, why are you passionate about culture? Um, from your perspective, why is it so important today? You know, for teams, individuals, communities, right, and, right. you know, and organizations, you know, why, why so? Yeah, Mike, thanks again for having me on. Really looking forward to this conversation. And and for me, I think my story starts off a little bit about my personal background. Um, I'm first generation American. Um, my my experiences of navigating uh, the US and, and going through college and, and beyond uh, was really supported from the, the foundation I had from my parents, the values they instilled in me, uh, the the, the importance of community, the importance of having a value system. I'm a man of faith and that plays a large part of it as well. And so I think my foundation to the core is, is about people, um, you know, thinking outwardly. And so for me, my experiences throughout, uh, you know, going through school at a junior level, grammar school, high school, um, and then into college, it's been a foundation around how do we support others? And that's really the basis for a lot of my observations. So my curiosity around leadership, around culture has always been guided by how can I help others? Um, and that I think that has a lot to do with kind of where, where I've gone with my career and how I've observed uh, society at large and what my role can be. So a little bit about my, uh, my background, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Boston College guy with you, Mike. So, you know, I have that in my background. And I started working in the financial services industry while I was at BC. Um, I did three summer internships while I was in school. Uh, so I had a very early uh, view into corporate America while I was going through undergrad. And then from there, I was able to fortunately get a full-time role and start my career post-graduation um, and, you know, I haven't looked back. I've stayed in this industry ever since. I've moved around a couple times, uh, worked for two different companies, but within the companies that I've worked for, I've moved around into different departments. And the two companies I've worked for have been global companies, you know, 38 to 96 countries around the world, you know, thousands and th tens of thousands of employees from different backgrounds, different cultures, different styles. So my experiences have been um, really based off of of kind of what I've seen in my my career in you know 16 to 19 years of of working in the industry, and not to mention 
uh, a short stint of working internationally as well. So I think those different angles play a large part into my view on, on culture, this topic that we're discussing here today, and the intersection between culture and leadership. And as you mentioned in your opening, you know, good times and bad times, and how that might permeate within an environment such as in corporate America. Yeah, certainly, certainly, Sam. I, that, the experience, particularly internationally, and able to mingle and work with and socialize with and understand and listen to places from, you know, in their natural cultures. When I say natural, it's what someone has been, you know, grew up in, not either by choice necessarily, um, what's been inherited and what you've, those people have been around their whole life. And there's different, you know, perspectives and different lenses and people are treated in different ways in various places. And no, it's interesting. So they had to come into an organization, which you've been working with, with those individuals. Um, and they've somehow had to make it work and, you know, perform, produce, get along in this, in this organization that you are a part of. So that's, uh, that's certainly, you know, challenging. That's certainly interesting. Mm -hmm. And, and I'd like to jump in if that's okay with you about those good times and bad times, you know, given the challenges and given, you know, different places of where, where people are located, geography and such, uh, you know, can we go through maybe sometimes like the financial crisis? There was, there was a time where you were working in the, in the business where, you know, some tough times hit. I'd like to see your perspective on, you know, what did you see that was positive during that time with the, all the people you were involved with? And right. what negative things maybe you've seen? Just just to kind of get an example of those. Yeah, sure, Mike. So, you know, thinking about the financial crisis as a particular example, you know, a, a, a pivotal moment, let's call it early in my career, towards the midpoint of my career, pivotal moment, not just for me, but for, um, but for society, you know, corporate America and those that were impacted by the financial crisis, you know, just as a way of kind of stepping back and appreciating what was going on at that time, uh, to say that there was uncertainty would be putting it mildly, right? No one knew what the next day was going to bring. Uh, you felt it everywhere you went. It, you didn't just feel the sense of the moment in the office. You felt it walking down the streets of New York City. You felt it at home. You felt it in conversations with your friends and your family. It impacted morale all across society. Uh, and the hardest part about it was you just didn't know what was going to happen the next day. The markets were going crazy. Uh, large companies that have been around for decades were folding overnight. Uh, industries were collapsing. Uh, high unemployment rate, et cetera. So that was the environment that you were in, a period of intense uncertainty. And for me, my experience, you know, to your point, I, I saw some good things and I saw some bad things and they both result, you know, kind of um, rotated around uh, leadership. So I'll give you an example. I saw firsthand during the financial crisis, 2008, 2009, that period of uncertainty, what good leadership looked like and what bad leadership looked like. Now, here's the case. In, the leaders that were operating that time were dealing with the same situation, things that are outside of their control and things that they had control over. But what we saw firsthand was good leaders 
not having all the answers, but not hiding. Being able to talk to leaders, be able to talk to employees, be able to communicate effectively and say, hey, I might not have all the answers, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. And, you know, just to throw some anecdotes out, you know, visually, I could remember this. We're talking years ago. I could visually remember some leaders standing on top of desks, talking out to the entire floor, you know, being demonstrative in terms of the effect of communication and not shying away from the tough conversations. That was great leadership in a time of uncertainty. But then you juxtapose that to bad leadership. Uh, leaders that were around people for a long time, 10, 15, 20 years, and couldn't you know, uh, be there for them when they were walking out the door on their last day, right? Hiding in their offices or not coming in at all. Uh, when employees were looking for answers, nowhere to be found. Uh, those are some examples of bad leadership. Um, so even though you don't have the answers, still being in front facing and being in front of your team helps to show that the culture is strong despite those uncertainties, despite those challenges, and that together you can accomplish and get through a tough time, a difficult time. Yeah, that's interesting. I you're talking about the, you know, that panic and the uncertainty of that particular time. You know, one of the things, you know, after hearing you was, you know, how does a person react under stress and when there is a panic? And it seems like some people were able to kind of rise above that in a certain way. And then some people seem to fold a little bit and maybe went into the self-preservation mode and self-survival is that a natural reaction do people have to is that have coached that reaction to be like the person standing on the desk or is that something like from their youth and their upbringing that they're they're able to kind of rise above that stress yeah. and panic maybe they had tough experiences in their life personally that this you know might not be as big of a shock maybe to someone who was say, anti or, or fragile in, in certain areas because they've never been exposed to the tough times. I, I wanted to see your thoughts on that, you know, yeah. um, in particular, you know, how do, do people get over panic and shock? Um, to, or they can fall within and get over consumed? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, Mike. And, you know, just taking a step back, I think looking looking at it, it, it probably works, it's probably a balance, right? Balance of personal experiences, upbringing, how you were raised, where you were raised, what other experiences you had prior to that experience, um, how you dealt with challenges in the past, how you dealt with periods of uncertainty, how you dealt with um, bouts of anxiety and, and, and not uh, and just general uncertainty uh, is definitely one piece. And a lot of that is innate right? You've learned how to deal with it on your own that either resonates well with a population or it doesn't. But then I think there's also a second part to this, which is how do organizations help their leaders to be ready to face those situations, right? Proactive in the moment and then reactive, right? So from a proactive standpoint, we think about, and I'm in the diversity inclusion space, uh, primarily um, in my my current role, when you think about how do you develop talent, how do you uh, support talent to advance and take on greater leadership, what attributes and qualities you work uh, to support future leaders? Well, 
that's the role of organizational support and organizational management to be able to help with that training, those workshops, those areas of development to be able to meet those needs, whether it's through executive coaching, whether it's through, you know, uh, ad hoc training in-house or, or external, and through just uh, giving exposure, wide exposure, so that you can, you know, you can learn some of those skills and those opportunities and those environments that will help you to get ready for the next time, their next environment. Yeah. So, so I think it's a balance of both. You know, yeah. there are some people that are natural salespeople, right? Like they never had a training in sales, but they, they're natural salesmen or saleswomen. Uh, you know, it, they, they just get it. They know how to connect with people. Then there's others that you know, they have to be trained on it. And over time, they, they get to pick up those skills and they could do a good job. And then, you know, they could be have, have a su successful career in sales. But it's, uh, it, it depends on the individual. Sure. I mean, yeah, there's, there's certain people definitely who have the raw skill. But how to grow that, you know, to a certain point and apply it in an environment, you know, successfully. You know, you mentioned about like the executive coaching and training. And there's a concept of working just beyond a comfort zone to grow and expand, kind of like a rubber band. You, you know, stretch it a little bit beyond the comfort zone, grow, growth happens. Whether it's internally or, you know, a skill set that's, you know, technical or externally. It, Skill is is interesting. It's it's a fascinating subject that kind of rolls up into culture because it's if you have performance based, like a strong point of a culture, you know, skill development is very important. Mm -hmm. But putting you talk about maybe putting people in those situations a little beyond their comfort zone. Do you think someone that maybe had some training in that and had experience over time, going through programs or just dealing with everyday scenarios could have reacted differently during the crisis because of that. Like would they have hid in the, in the office, so to speak like that, those people did. You think there's more of a chance that they would get on the desk. That's, yeah, that's I, pretty dramatic getting on the desk. It, it, it is pretty dramatic. And, and what I would say about that is not everyone has to get on the desk, right? You know, the, the particular leader that I'm thinking about, it, it made sense. It was authentic to that person, right? The, a great leader doesn't necessarily have to get on the desk to be able to communicate that way, but it's it's the it's the visual, the optics that I that I remember um, along with the substance of the of the communication. Now, I I think some the training, the development opportunities, the practice, the preparation can certainly help, um, and that's part of the process. Um, but part of it's going to be you know what you do with that information and how you deal with the situation in the moment. But I've always felt that. The more you know what lies ahead, the better prepared you are for a potential situation, uh, the better you're going to deal with it when that time comes. If you're caught off guard, if you're not anticipating, if you didn't even know that that was a reality, a possibility, uh, you're, you're left to your own devices in the moment, and that might not have the desired outcomes that you'd like. You, know, you immediately regret how you might have dealt with a particular situation. And so for me, that's... Um, that's why we, from an organizational standpoint, creating that structure, creating that support for our future leaders and our current leaders will mitigate the risk of not reacting to the situation in the right way. So one example of that, you know, uh, if, if I may, Mike. Sure. You know, we spent a lot of time, a, a, to a popular topic nowadays is, you know, 
you know, recognizing what unconscious bias is in, in the workplace and in society. Another popular topic that we spend a lot of time on is in inclusive leadership, right? So that's, that in most parts across corporate America is through trainings or workshops to help leaders to understand how they can become a more inclusive leader. So you go through examples, you go through scenarios, you you get a feel for the environment, but really at the end of the day, what it helps you to visualize is uh, not your own impact, but, but the perception uh, of others, right? Uh, thinking of the perspectives of other people, um, your team, your peer group, your seniors, and thinking outwardly about those around you rather than you know, how you might, your own impact on a certain action, right? So we think back to the financial crisis. Um, in the moment, you're thinking, you could rationally think, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my career? You know, I've been working 15, 20 years to be this senior leader, and it could be gone tomorrow. You could spend a lot of time thinking about just that one point. And as you're thinking about that one point, you know, there's a fire happening around you. And you're not thinking about those around you, the teams that you hired, the, the peers that you go out to lunch with and spend time with. Um, but thinking about how to be an inclusive leader helps you to think about other people first. So how might this situation, the situation that you're worried about, sure, how might other people be thinking about it? And understand that everyone's different. Everyone has different family structures, different needs. There are different places in their career that come from different backgrounds, as you mentioned before. They're from different geographies. How might this one event impact all those people differently? And what is your role as a leader to better, to one, understand that that's the case, right? That it's not going to impact everyone the same way. Right. And two, what can you do to make everyone feel, as you mentioned earlier at the top, that sense of belonging, right? That that they are heard, that they are seen, that they're uniquely identified and how that can help going forward. Yeah, the sense of belonging, definitely would like to jump into that as you just mentioned, because it's very healthy. It's uh, being a part of something is a nice motivational, I guess, fuel to, you know, for performance that's been written about by many people, but it's also, it just makes, it makes great, natural common sense. You know, how do you create, so that leader that you talk about to understand, it's a lot of perspectives and they may, you know, you know, someone in that position may not have the intimate knowledge of every single person and how they, they tick, so to speak, from those perspectives. But, you know, hopefully over time, you know, with learning and about the person and getting to know the person and having that education about unconscious bias and how we perceive things because we're human and our brains are wired certain ways and brought up in certain ways, either by choice or by not. But how do you create that sense of belonging? What have you seen, Sam, that works really well and that can just blow it? Yeah. Um, like the process maybe. Right. So from an unconscious bias standpoint, I, the, the first step is recognizing we all have biases, right? You know, there, there are people that know that they have biases and there are people that don't think that they do. Right, so it's 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 recognizing that we all have biases. That's the first part of the unconscious bias kind of paradigm. The second piece on you know what the role of a leader is and and thinking about others and being inclusive is just recognizing that it requires work. It's easier to be 
um, to not have inclusion as part of your leadership qualities, to only think about you know yourself um, and how you how how you're portrayed or how you lead. But it's hard work and it requires effort, time, commitment, and a lot of outreach to to do exactly what you had described, you know, how to be inclusive, how to think about other people. So it's re it's just recognizing that it's work, right? It's not easy. So within that, that sense of belonging, it's, it's in every facet of what we do. So it's not just process. It's not just, can this employee fulfill the roles and responsibilities that they're hired to perform? It is, what, what can I do to create the right type of environment that allows every employee, no matter their background, no matter where they're from, no matter their language, no matter what else other characteristics you're thinking about, um, to allow them to reach their fullest potential. Now, I like that thought about helping employees reach their fullest potential because it tells us a couple things. It tells us, one, that we all have different potential. We all have um, different needs, as I mentioned before. And by thinking about how can we create an environment that allows everyone to reach their fullest potential enables us to get the most out of that individual or series of set of individuals. And then if we think about the bigger picture, what does that do? That allows everyone to come into an environment that they feel like they're a part of it. They're not on the outside looking in. They're part of the team. That they're recognized not just for their their technical contributions and the execution of their responsibilities, but they're recognized for who they are, that they can be their authentic selves, that they can talk about what they'd like to do on the weekend and feel like there's, there, there's listening ears that will gladly take in that information, that it's more than just their profit margin or their ex, you know, expense management performance. So that sense of belonging, it's what can, how can we allow every employee to feel like they can be who they need to be at work to get the job done and to be to bring the best version of themselves to work that they no longer have to walk into the office and shed off the layers of who they are before they walk through those doors that they can bring that all in with them now if you think about the from a practical standpoint what what type of impact does that have right so you have this one individual you know, if we just have a, two scenarios, you have one individual that doesn't have that sense of belonging, that doesn't feel like they belong. Uh, that's going to impact the way they perform. That's going to create unnecessary anxiety. That's going to create uncertainty about how they're perceived. So that is going to impact their ability to be efficient at what they do and how they do it. Now you have someone on the other hand that does feel that sense of belonging they're going to be totally focused on just being part of the team, less anxiety, less stress. They're going to be able to deliver more. They're going to be able to get along with their colleagues in a, in a, in a better fashion. And then you think about the outer ring of influence that that has. If that employee is performing and feeling that sense of belonging, the way they interact with others is also going to increase and, and have a positive reaction then the team starts to perform better. And if the team performs better, morale increases, you know, uh, performance, general performance of the team increases, uh, and, and that's a nice outcome. So I think it's, it's more, it's recognizing the, the larger impact on creating a, 
the right type of inclusive environment that allows everyone ha to have that sense of belonging, to increase uh, performance, to increase morale, to increase teamwork, to increase collaboration. And we know that if you can do all those things, you're working in a much better environment uh, with much better ability to succeed at a higher level and continue to grow. Yeah, Sam, it's um, all you mentioned a bunch of big concepts that roll into this 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 mother culture we talk about. It's the you know, belonging and inclusion. This all these important factors that roll up into say like a performing positive you know culture, so to speak. You know, you talked before about you know, say there's natural salespeople that just have the skill. They just know it. There's natural raw skill, and it gets refined over time with training and experience. Does being inclusive come naturally for some people more though more so than other people? And say those people that it doesn't come natural to, how do they get to be more inclusive, for example, or provide the opportunity to include? Not. I guess, create the environment, whatever level it is, if it's a group, a team, a community, uh, an organization, what can they do? I guess to, to finish off, is there a process, so to speak, that they can maybe follow, you know, some some idea, and then they can figure out how to, it becomes more natural, and then it becomes who they are right. after a while? Yeah, I, I definitely think there are, some, there are some people that are more apt to be more inclusive than others. And and kind of like your you know the analogy that we shared before about the salesman that's it could be an inert um, you know attribute a quality that they have you know there are people that are naturally um, that naturally show empathy that naturally show compassion uh, those are two really important facets of how to be an inclusive leader um, that doesn't make you just by having those two traits or skills doesn't necessarily make you a great leader right. Uh, but those are two really important factors on how you can be an inclusive leader. So there are definitely some people that have it, some people that you know need that development. And there are some people that just need those reminders. And some people, um, leaders, you know, develop it, then the, it plat kind of plateaus, or it's developed in one area, but they don't see the full picture. And that's why we all need, all leaders need that, you know, those constant reminders and constant uh, processes to help us stay on track and to think about how can we be more inclusive. So one example is, you know, there's there's a lot of little nudges that we can take and apply in our daily lives. We think about in the work environment, you know, just being mindful of who you interact with. If you have a team of 10 people and you just track how you, uh, how you work, how you connect, how you communicate with those 10 individuals, and if over a month period of time, do you look back and say, of those 10 people, I spent the majority of my time with three people. What about the others, the balance of that group? Why aren't you spending more time with them? Is there a reason? And maybe that's where you might identify some of your own biases. So being intentional about being inclusive is really important. That's a process, right? So for example, if you like to go out for an afternoon coffee or tea, who do, you, who do you invite to go with you? Um, maybe you just need to be explicit about how you do that rather than just making decisions at a whim and say, hey, Mike, you want to go grab a coffee with me? And that happens and you look back and more so than not, you're asking Mike for coffee way more than anyone else. Or are you being practical about and intentional about your process? 
right? And you you almost have a calendar. You know, this week I'm going to make sure I I go to Susie or John, and making sure in an intentional way that you're uh, connecting with as many people as possible in a very balanced way. So that example about coffee or tea seems like a minor one, but think about what happens in those situations. That's when you learn the most about your colleagues. And if you extrapolate that over time, you know, one person that you tend to do that more with, you're going to have a tighter bond with. You're going to learn more about them and their personal lives. You're going to learn more about their skill sets. They, they might not be utilizing on a daily basis in their current role, but then you might later on when it comes time to making a, a promotion decision, there's a new role that opens up. I might think about Mike over Susie or John only because I've learned these extra things about Mike. So as a leader, it's really important, even if it's something as small as um, you know going out for coffee. And you can say the same thing about when it comes to delivery of, of work assignments or initiatives. Who are you giving those uh, really cool projects to uh, that can help them to grow their careers? Are you thinking more broadly in an inclusive way around the talent that you have? That's really interesting. So small things can make a big difference too, Sam, in this site, just the, the small coffee and and be cognizant about, you know, the frequency of how often you get to know people and spend time with people. Just that if someone's not in tune with that naturally, I think that was a really good suggestion, a good nugget. Put something in the calendar, just a, a nice nudge, a nice reminder. And then over time, hopefully that that catches, becomes part of the who that who that person is. So I we we touched upon a lot in 30 minutes. Can you believe it? That 30 minutes so fast. is already over. And we, I felt like we we touched upon some stuff, but the, it's go each of those subtopics we we covered goes even deeper. So, um, if I could ask you one more question, Sam, you know, just to kind of you know finalize this and and you know in a couple words, you know, what does culture mean to you personally? Just to finish, kind of a tough question, but maybe just in a couple words, just to get your your, your final thoughts. Yeah, I, for for me, it's it's core to how we create a better society. Um, and there's there's good culture and there's bad culture, and so it's the differentiating quality that exists within a group of individuals or or, or a group that has that has a positive or um, a negative uh, overall um, output of that group compared to a peer group. So, you know, for me, culture is all about the people and putting people first. Thanks, Sam. It was great having you today. Great Thanks, catching Mike. Up. Thank you so much. Insight was awesome. It, it was my pleasure, Mike. Thanks for having me on. We want to sincerely thank you for listening to Creator of Culture's podcast series.